You're listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Welcome again to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It is great to be in worship with you this morning. I want to remind you that uh, we are transitioning on August 15th to our new worship schedule. Um, as I said at the very beginning of the pandemic, uh, as we reopen, it's more of a turning the dial on and less of an on-off switch. Um, so we're trying to, to kind of switch our mode of ministry for the last year and a half. We've transitioned all virtual and now doing in-person is taking all of the wisdom that we can muster as we kind of plan out with the resources we have, what God is calling us to do and to be. So please be in prayer for the RPC leadership as we figure out how to uh, come back and do ministry that God calls us to. Well, today is the penultimate sermon in our summer sermon series, The Incredibles of Faith. Now we've been looking at these great figures, mostly from the Old Testament so far, and today we're going to fall in that line, Nehemiah. Nehemiah and Ezra were both living at the same time, and they were part of the exiles who were in Babylon who come back to Jerusalem, okay? After being exiled, they come back to Jerusalem, and they are called to rebuild the city. Ezra called to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah called to rebuild the walls, but like anyone who is called to something big, a big vision, they, uh, there will be naysayers, there will be doubters, and that's what we're going to read about in our great passage this morning from Nehemiah 4, verses 1 through 18. Listen for the word of the Lord. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, so Nehemiah is writing this in the first person, heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he mocked the Jews. <coughs> Excuse me. He said in the presence of his associates and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore things? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him, and he said, that stone wall they were building, any fox going up on it would break it down. <laughs> Hear, O oh our God, for we are despised. Turn their taunt back on their own heads and give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt and do not let their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have hurled insults in the face of the builders." So we rebuilt the wall and all the wall that was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and the gaps were beginning to be closed, they were very angry and all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to con cause confusion in it. So we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. But Judah said, the strength of the burden bears, uh, the strength of the burden bears is failing, and there is too much rubbish so that we are unable to work on the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see anything before we come upon them and kill them and stop the work. When the Jews who had 
lived near them came, they said to us 10 times, from all the places where they lived, they will come up against us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your kin, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that their plot was known to us and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and body armor. And the leaders posted themselves behind the whole house of Judah who were building the wall. The burden bearers carried their loads in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and with the other held a weapon. And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet, well, he was beside me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher, that you by your spirit might speak a word only you can speak. This rebuilding process, this rebuilding the wall, this story about Nehemiah may not just be trapped in an ancient past, but by your spirit, it might spring to life. It might speak to us here today. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Outside of 9-11, probably the event that most affected me psychologically was the hurricane Katrina. I remember watching on television as the trees were blown sideways. I remember watching the waters rushing over buildings, people screaming and waving on the tops of their houses. I read stories about people huddling together in the Superdome, others being exiled to Houston and other cities. I remember thinking, is New Orleans gone forever? Is the city dead? I recently read uh, Wright Thompson's great collection of essays, The Cost of These Dreams, Sports Stories and Other Serious Stuff. <laughs> I wanted to read it because I just finished Papyland, and I thought Papyland was one of my favorite books of the year, and so I read it. The book's title also is a drive-by truckers line, so I thought this is going in the right direction. And the the book really hits on the Venn diagram for like my sweet spot where it connects sports, music, and the meaning of life. <laughs> in one essay, Thompson writes about a summer he spent in New Orleans 10 years after Katrina. It's titled Beyond the Breach, A Summer in Search of Saints, Sinners, and Lost Souls in the New Orleans that Katrina Left Behind. In it, he talks about people returning to New Orleans to try to, to begin again, to rebuild what was lost, what was destroyed in the hurricane. And there is a paragraph in there at the beginning of the essay that could have been used to describe Jerusalem. It could have been written by Nehemiah and his friends as they come back to rebuild. Listen to this. Thompson writes, rebirth has been the standing field order of the past 10 years in New Orleans a powerful force shaping the city in ways big and small. Everything is governed by this spirit of renewal. 
and everything is viewed through its lens, from the fervent love of brass bands to the New Orleans Saints, the standard bearers of a city struggling to get back on its feet. But within this hopeful word, an idea hides in plain sight. For something to be reborn, it must have first died. For something to be reborn, it must have first died. Those words could have been used to describe 500 years before Jesus lived in Jerusalem as Nehemiah and the exiles returned from Babylon. The city has died. It's in rubble. No stone is left upon another. In fact, there's marks of where they were burned. And then Nehemiah and Ezra step forward. Here's what we're going to do, they say. We've been called to this great vision. I know you can't see it right now, but we are going to work to rebuild and resurrect what has died. And there's excitement in the air. There's enthusiasm. People are beginning to have hope. People are beginning to dream dreams that they never would have thought possible. They think the future is going to be greater than their present predicament. And then <laughs> obstructions come. In our passage, I notice several obstructions that come to the work of rebuilding, to the work of rebirth. Obstruction one. I don't know if you sympathize with this, but haters gonna hate. <laughs> In verse one, I don't know if you caught this. Listen to this guy. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged and he mocked the Jews. That's a hater. <laughs> Verse 3, Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him and he said, that stone wall they are building, any fox going up on it would break it down. That's a hater. <laughs> Sanballat and Tobiah are trying to rain on Nehemiah's parade. Nehemiah's had this great vision and these two guys come along and they're hating on his vision. Have you ever been around somebody who tries to rain on your parade. <laughs> I remember that SNL skit, uh, Debbie Downer. Do you guys remember this? <laughs> I love that skit. In one of them, uh, Lindsay Lohan says, this, they're, they're going to Disney World. She says, this is my dream come true. Tigger hugged me at the door and almost, I almost thought I was gonna cry. Then Debbie Downer says, I guess Roy isn't doing as well as they thought. She said, what, who's Roy? Debbie says, Roy of Siegfried and Roy. He was attacked by his own tiger and suffered devastating injuries. And then it would go, uh, uh. <laughs> Jimmy Fallon then comes on and he's ordering breakfast at Disney World. He says, I love me some steak and eggs. And Debbie says, ever since they found mad cow disease in the US, I'm not taking any chances. And then she throws in, you know it can live in your body for years before it ravages your brain. <laughs> there, there are people who have the spiritual gift of hating on your dreams. <laughs> San Bella and to Tobiah are, are Debbie Downers, focusing on the negative, being unhelpful, having a, a can't-do attitude. And they begin to ask a thousand questions. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore things? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burdened ones at that? These are not constructive questions. 
These are questions birthed out of skepticism and mockery. They don't want the reconstruction to be successful. They want them to fail. And look at the the kind of questions they ask. What are these feeble Jews doing? Nothing like a little xenophobia to get you going. Will they restore things? Nothing like a can't-do attitude. Will they finish it in a day? Nothing about like putting impractical time limits and time constraints on your work. Will they revive the stones out of the rubbish? Nothing like bringing up the past to say you can never get beyond it. As long as you listen to doubters like this, you will never achieve your dreams. So what should we do? Well, I know you're thinking what I'm thinking. (laughs) You follow the advice of Taylor Swift. You shake it off. Shake it off when the haters hate. And so that's what we see. Nehemiah shakes them off and he moves forward. Obstruction two, when you confront adversity, when you confront adversity, respond with unity. After Sanballat and Tobiah go on their negative kind of rant, Nehemiah turns to a posture of prayer. You can't see it in the English translations, but it's actually a form of lament. He offers a prayer. How many of us, when hearing someone attack us with negativity and doubt and despair, turn to God and pray? Sometimes it's all we can do. And look what happens. After Nehemiah completes his lament, he says in verse six, so we rebuilt the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. The people had a mind to work. When the adversity came against them, they came together and were unified. This wall isn't going to build itself. We better get busy. Teamwork makes the dream work. It's cliche, but it's true. When we let go of our differences, when we don't care about who gets the credit for the work, there's no telling what we can do. I mentioned I was deeply affected by the tragedy of Hurricane Katrina. Maybe one of the reasons why it was is I had the opportunity to go and help uh, at a couple different occasions um, go to uh, New Orleans, Bay St. Louis actually, and help in the rebuilding efforts. And so several years after the storm hit, I took a bunch of college students to Bay St. Louis, and we went to go work with a church to help rebuild, paint, construct. Well, one of the guys in our group was a guy named Frazier. And Frazier was from Malawi, Africa. He'd actually never, ever been outside of Atlanta other than when he flew in to go to school. He went to Mercer. He was a fascinating guy. So we drove to Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, and I remember him sitting in the back row of the van. I was driving. I could look in the rearview mirror, and he was wide awake the whole time just looking at everything. And we get to Bay St. Louis, and they gather us in a circle, They gather us in a circle and we go around and introduce ourselves, say where we're from, uh, you know, why we came. And it comes to Frazier and Frazier says, you know, I'm Frazier and I'm from Malawi, Africa. And our host was this guy, I mean, he had probably never left Mississippi and he says, what, you're from from Malawi, Africa? (laughs) Frazier said, yeah. He said, well, usually we go there to help people and you've come here to help us? Now, obviously, he hadn't read um, 
our partnership over paternalism uh, principles at RPC. But we said, who cares now? As long as you can paint, as long as you can hammer in nails, we're in this together. We got working. It was, a, it was an important moment to realize that no matter our diversity, when you, when you confront adversity, you respond with unity. And the Israelites who res- respond to the adversity after they've been in exile in Babylon and come back, they come together. They have one mind, it says. They work with one mind. Obstruction three. How do you respond to the threat of danger? Listen to this, verse seven. When Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and the gaps were beginning to be closed, they were very angry and all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. The, the haters have gone from just hating to threatening bodily harm. And so what are the Israelites going to do? How are they going to continue the work? I don't know if you noticed, but they have a combination of prayer and action. Verse 9, it says, So we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. Did you notice that? They prayed for and worked for protection for the workers. If you read much theology, you'll see that there becomes a distinction between spirituality and action. One set of writers will write that really when you pray, when you go to church, when you do spiritual things, that's when you're really doing the Lord's work. There's another group of writers who will say, no, 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 no. When you feed and clothe the poor, when you fight for social justice, those are the folks who are really doing the Lord's work. And I've really come to think that that's a false opposition. These are really two sides of the same coin. We need to pray and protect people. We need to pray and work. They go together. We cannot have one without the other. They go together. An example of this comes, I was thinking about, in Bruce Springsteen's song, My My City of Ruins. I don't know if you heard it. I first heard it after 9-11. I mean, I remember sing, hearing him sing it and I just I was almost moved to tears. It was so, such a powerful, almost gospel song that he brings. Later, I discovered that he actually wrote it first for his hometown of Asbury Park. It could have been used for Jerusalem 500 years before Jesus. It could have been written by Nehemiah. Listen to how it begins with Bruce describing the situation his city is in. He says, there is a blood red circle on the cold dark ground and the rain is falling down. The church doors thrown open. I can hear the organ song, but the congregation's gone. What Springsteen is describing there is a funeral for his city, but no one's left to go. It's almost a devastating song. And he goes through several verses like this, but then he comes to the end. And this is this anthem where he, it's almost like a prayer that he offers for his beloved city. And he sings, with these hands, with these hands. And then he says, we pray for your love, Lord, with these hands. We pray for the lost, Lord. We pray for the world, Lord. We pray for the strength, Lord. It's this combination of prayer and action. We've got to pray, but we've got to work to protect the workers. 
With these hands, I'm praying for you to use them in effect. In this work of rebuilding the city, we need prayer, but we also need to do the work. Every person who dares to call themselves a Christian needs to have both of these impulses, both to pray and to work. The life of discipleship, of following Jesus Christ is one of prayer and one of work. Obstruction number four, you can become overwhelmed by the amount of work there is to do. You just look at my email inbox. (laughs) It can be overwhelming, the work that we are called to. Verse 15, when our enemies heard that their plot was known to us and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and body armor. And the leaders posted themselves behind the whole house of Judah who were building the wall. Friends, there's a lot of work to be done. So remember, we, none of us can do everything, but we can do something. None of us can do it all, but we all can do something we can contribute. Here at RPC, we try to provide many ways for you to get involved. I don't know if you saw, we have started partnerships, the spiritual friendships with our friends at Groveway Community across the street. We're looking for 15 folks to build spiritual friendships, often on Zoom. You can do it from the comfort of your own home. Just making friendships, letting people know they're not alone. They're not in isolation. We are here for you. We need 15 people to sign up. Did you know we're starting a program for the underemployed to help folks learn interviewing and job skills? We're praying for them, but we're also working for them. Did you know that we just had the AC go out? You can give of your resources, tithes, and offerings to help the ministry happen here. We can't do it all, but we can do something. In Wright Thompson's essay about the aftermath of Katrina, he talks about a guy named uh, Steve Gleason. And if you know, Steve Gleason uh, blocked a, a famous punt in the Superdome. It was the first game back that the New Orleans Saints played in New Orleans. And Steve blocked this punt. And it was, and he just, it was, he was like a walk-on. I mean, he barely made the team. He's from Spokane, Washington. And actually, I grew up with him in this tiny little church, maybe 100 folks, River Ridge Christian Church. And shortly after he blocked that punt, uh, Steve Gleason was diagnosed with ALS. And you can, there's a documentary about him on Amazon Prime. You can watch it. And, but fascinating guy. He's constricted to a wheelchair. All he can move are his eyeballs. And you would think, oh, this guy, there's nothing left for him to do. He can't do anything. Well, if you follow his journey, he's become one of the biggest advocates for New Orleans and the recovery effort and for people with ALS. Said, I can't do everything. I'm stuck in this wheelchair, but I can do something. I can do something. He has become such a leader and servant. And it's a witness to me that we all, no matter our station in life, no matter how young we are or how old we are or what we're constrained by, we can do something. God has called us to rebuild the walls, to, to rebirth. And so the question is, will we have the courage, the intestinal fortitude to step forward? 
to pray and to work. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that you might hear our prayer, that we might have the courage, the energy, the wisdom to know how you call us to serve. Wherever we're at, we can't do everything, but we can do something. And I thank you for that. And I thank you for this amazing congregation and how you've brought us together. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.